everybody, welcome back to the Wayback Chronicles podcast brought to you by Noel Kirsch, Keith Abbott, and myself, Steve McKelkey. So today is going to be the inception of a new series, what we call a deep dive into a, a special topic that only that particular host that's speaking for the day is going to share with us. We have no idea what Noel's going to share, but uh, we're excited to hear uh, what uh, Keith's going to, or I'm sorry, what Noel's going to bring us in this deep dive. So Noel, it's all you. All right. Well, appreciate the uh, uh, opportunity to be the first one to, to kind of carve out this new uh, new format that we're trying out here. So this uh, for the readers or for the listeners, rather, um, we kind of decided that we would, you know, for this season, we would try something a little different. And, you know, rather than our normal format, what we thought we would do is just kind of find a topic that is of particular interest to, to us and then just kind of take a deep dive on it. See, see what we can you know, dig, dig deep on a particular topic, um, related to, you know, some nostalgic related topic and then share that with, uh, share that with the listeners. So I was thinking about my experience back in the eighties and nineties when I was growing up as a kid. And, um, you know, one of the things that, um, came to mind was just the movies that I watched, of course. And, um, I thought I zeroed in on one particular actor that um, this actor was in a lot of the movies that I, that I like found myself um, making when I quote movies and, and um, from the eighties and nineties, for some reason, I'm always quoting this person and it's um, he's an interesting character in a lot of ways. And um, not only the way that he got into show business, but the way that he got out of show business and um, for the reasons that he got out of show business too, I have a lot of respect for him and and very talented. And so, for my I'm really trying to figure out who this is right I, now, like I mean, I'm I'm trying to I'm getting there. I'm trying to figure it out and like jump in there. <laughs> but um, for me, what I decided to do was just do a deep dive on on an actor that I've like I said I've I'm very I like this guy a lot, and um, that actor is Rick Moranis. Oh, okay. Nice. Cool. Nice. So Rick. Cool. Uh, eh? Yeah. Beauty, eh? <laughs> <laughs> so I in my in my media room, one of the one of the movie posters that I have up is Strange Brew. And oh, great movie. Strange Brew is just a I don't know. If you've never seen Strange Brew, it's a it's hilarious. It's weird. It's Canadian. It's Canadian mm-hmm. humor. And the Canadians are just a little bit different, not to say that difference bad, just different in the sense that when you mm-hmm. compare them to Americans or pretty much any other group, Europeans or what have you, um, they're just they're funny in, in their <laughs> in their own way. And um, it's it's interesting. A lot of the actors that we that we know of um, came from Canada and, and several of them that, that came from like John Candy um, was Canadian um, or uh, yeah, John Candy is Canadian. Um, he, of course, Rick Moranis is Canadian. Um, there's a bunch of people that came out of out of uh, Canada about that time. Dave Thomas is another one. So was Dan Aykroyd Canadian? Dan Aykroyd was also yeah. Canadian. Mike Myers, yeah. Mike Myers is Canadian. Mike Myers, yeah. So we've really like we've we've imported a lot of the a lot of the actors from from across our northern border, and uh, they've really made it big. And Rick Moranis was one of those. So. Um, kind of his early days. I'm going to kind of go through his early days, like where he was born, kind of where he grew up, talk about his married life and then his retirement. Um, of course, we're going to talk about the movies and go into some of his filmography. 
Um, he was in a lot of movies and a lot of TV shows. Some you've heard of probably more you haven't um, and talk about that. And then we'll also kind of talk about, I was just finding these interesting facts and like uh, particularly around like the, the roles and casting um, some of the movies that he was cast in. There were other people that we've all heard of that he was, that they considered before they got to Rick Moranis and I just thought it was kind of an interesting fact to what I want to share that too as part of this episode. So this is my cool. deep dive on, on Rick Moranis. So he was, um, Rick, Rick Allen Moranis was born April 18th, 1953. Um, of course he's Canadian. We've talked about that. He was an actor, comedian, musician, songwriter, writer, and producer. And I was, um, for the last several weeks as I was researching this topic, um, was watching some of his music because I've, I mean, of course, we've all seen his acting and everything, but um, his music is, it's all parodies. It's like, a, like necessarily Weird Al Yankovic, but it's all like goofy, goofy stuff. Like if you go onto YouTube and um, look like Rick Moranis music, um, some of the stuff that he wrote and saying and stuff performed is, it's hilarious. And he is very much a, creative person and uh, comedians are obviously obviously writing their own material and when he finally decided to get out of hollywood um this is a quote of his he said on the last couple movies i made big budget hollywood movies i really miss being able to create my own material in the early movies i did i was brought in to basically rewrite my stuff whether it was ghostbusters 1984 or spaceballs 1987 uh, by the time I got to the point where I was starring in movies and I, I had executives telling me what lines to say, that really wasn't for me. I'm really not an actor. <clears throat> I'm a guy who comes out of comedy and my impetus was always to rewrite the line to make it funnier, not to try to make somebody's precious words work. That was really kind of, <clears throat> that's who he is, is he's he's very much comes from that, mm. that comedian background where you're kind of writing your own material. And um, once he got into... Uh, performing stuff, he really kind of lost his, it kind of lost to lost him. He really kind of lost, lost interest in it, I guess. But mm-hmm. um, he first started, um, actually, it's interesting when he first got his um, start in show business, I'm air quoting. Um, he was, uh, he was on the radio, it was a DJ, DJ radio on a Toronto radio station. And he <laughs> went, he went by the on-air name of Rick Allen. So, huh. um no, he just took his first name, which was actually his first full name is Frederick. And then he took his middle name as his last name. It didn't use drop the Moranis, but went on hmm. on air as Rick Allen. And um, that was he was the overnight DJ on a Toronto radio station um, in the early 1970s. And then that um, that kind of evolved into <clears throat> some other um, Canadian small sketch type sketch comedy series called second city television or SCTV. And this was in the 1980s, early 1980s when he's, when he's doing this. And I I encourage you to like Google some of the Rick Moranis SCTV stuff. I, I I spent probably four hours watching old sketches from this SCTV show. He did. It's freaking hilarious. It is like, yeah, it's so funny. Like it's uh, the production value is so low, but that's kind of what makes it so funny. Right. uh, Do you know where SCTV originated from? No. So SCTV is a TV um, 
it's a TV sketch that was created from a a comedic group called The Second City out of Chicago. And they had some, I mean, absolute legends in Second City. Um, like just the people that were in that were amazing. I mean, you're talking about mm-hmm. Alan Alda, Harold Ramis, uh, oh, wow. Bill Murray, Gilda Radner, John Candy, John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, Eugene wow. Levy. Um, you know, all of these people were on. And, and Rick Moranis, coincidentally, is the only SCTV actor that wasn't in Second City's group. Um, wow. But but they were very much improv. So they did a lot of mm-hmm. improv. Like if they would do live shows, they would do improv comedy. Um, so one of my best friend's brothers is in Second City right now in Chicago. He's moved to Chicago to be part of it. So that's kind of how I know about that. But yeah, no, it's interesting. A, SCTV was hilarious. I remember, I thought it rivaled Saturday Night Live at the time. It, so it's good it, stuff. Yeah. yeah, it kind of was that. It's like the early version of, of Saturday Night Live. It made, you know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if Saturday Night Live kind of took some of their ideas and kind of ran with it or if it was the other way around, but it was mm-hmm. when I was watching, I was like, this is, this is a lot like Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Yeah. He, good stuff. he just, this, he wrote songs for it. He performed the songs. They're like, there's like music videos and he's, he's like this, he has this show. I forgot the name of it, but it's like one of these sketches on, on SETV where he's like this VJ and it was before, it was before MTV was even a thing. He was the first ever video DJ and I forgot, I've got the guy's name. I should have wrote this in my notes, but um, he's performing this thing like he's the VJ and then he kicks to a video and it's him as the actor in the music. Like, and, he's too, and the songs are just bonkers. I mean, it's all really funny, but it's also like, it's Canadian humor. I don't know how else to explain it, but right. um, it's really, 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 really funny stuff. But anyway, so his, he started as a as a dj on air called rick allen uh, in toronto that kind of evolved into uh he got onto second city television in the 80s and then of course he was in several hollywood films uh his first hollywood film being strange brew 1983 streets of fire which i've not seen 1984 yeah, go heard of it yeah. yeah ghostbusters of course ghostbusters 2 little shop of horrors Spaceballs, honey i shrunk the kids and um Honey, I Shrunk the Kids first was in 1989, then 1992 and 1997 sequels. He was in Parenthood. Um, he was in My Blue Heaven and The Flintstones. And I also saw, yeah, yeah also saw my notes or in my, when I was researching this, he was, he had a very small role in Brewster's Millions. Do y'all remember Brewster's Millions? I do oh, remember yeah. that. With, um, uh, Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor, yep. Yeah. Richard Pryor and John wow. Candy were in that. And, it was funny how many times I kept seeing like John Candy and Rick Moranis in the same shows. And uh, he, he appeared with John Candy in four different films. He was in Bru- Brewster's Millions in 1985, Little Shop of Horrors, 1986, of course, Spaceballs in 87, and then a movie called The Rocket Boy, 1989. I haven't heard of that one either. Um, and then um, he's also appeared with Bill Murray in three films, Ghostbusters, Little Shop of Horrors, Ghostbusters 2. And then um, Steve Martin, he was in four films, Little Shop of Horrors, Parenthood, My Blue Heaven, and L.A. Story. But well, L.A. Um, Story is so great. Oh, yeah, gosh. Great. <laughs> it is. I got to go back and watch that now. Yeah. But, okay, so I'm kind of jumping around a little bit here. I apologize. But so he was born 1953, of course, he was in Canada. His paternal grandparents, Jacob and Lena Moranis, they were Russian Jewish immigrants who moved to Philadelphia. 
and then later moved to Canada. Uh, his mother is of Polish Jewish ancestry. And um, interesting factoid, he attended Sir Sanford Fleming Secondary School and also elementary school in Toronto, Canada with Getty Lee. No kidding of oh, Rush, man. huh? Oh. Of Rush. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that bizarre? That's wild. Yeah. Like talk about a small world, right? Rick Moranis no and Getty Lee together in the same, same, they grew up together in school together. That's wild. Thought that was kind of, thought that was kind of cool, but that is cool. Um, he um, married Ann Moranis in, um, she in 1991 um, passed away from breast cancer that they had, they had two children together. And so in 1991, so following the death of his wife in 1991, the difficulty of raising their two children on his own. Um, and uh, his ex's wife's name was Ann Belsky. Um, but the difficulty of raising their children, two children on their own. Um, and also to 1991, he's kind of increasing his disenchantment with Hollywood and, you know, it's kind of this frustrations growing, like I said, is losing interest in, you know, reading somebody else's lines. He has that creative engine inside himself where he just wants to ad lib. I mean, it's kind of the way he's wired. Um, That disenchantment with Hollywood was kind of growing. And so he, he took a sabbatical in 1997 a lot of people said, well, he retired from acting. He actually, it's funny. He said um, he intended the retirement to just be a sabbatical of a couple of years, but later realized that he did not miss the pressure. And so what started off as a temporary break turned into a little bit longer break that turned into a longer break to where he's really kind of been out of the, out of the um, industry for, for many years. He's taken on some like, um, voice work. He's done some voice work jobs. He did brother bear in 2003. Um, and he's just done a whole bunch of like little, little odds and ends, little parts and stuff like that. But for the most part, he's been, he's been retired, um, just taking care of his kids. So, and, um, and then that whole thing started with his, his wife passing away. So interesting. Okay. have a lot of respect for the man to kind of pass up that whole thing. I mean, all the money and all the fame and everything else yeah. that goes with it and, just decide, you I know mean, what? He was, at that point, he was, I mean, huge. He was having some momentum, you know? I mean, huge. Yeah. 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 He, he is, his trajectory of his career was very much in the same, the same trajectory as like John Candy, Bill Murray, mm-hmm. Steve Martin, and, and others in that group. I mean, they were just on a kind of meteoric rise. And, um, well, he was, he was in everything and everything he did was really good and people just couldn't get enough mm-hmm. of him. And then that's when he decided to take a step back and, and tend to what's real important, which is his family and yep. being there for his kids. So I, I deeply respect that. And absolutely thought that was, thought that's, um, says a lot about his character, but, um, <clears throat> all right. So his movies, I'll talk a little bit about that. The first one I, I want to talk about is strange brew. So, you guys, you guys have both seen it, right? Oh yeah. <clears throat> so if you're listening to this and you haven't watched it, please do. It is, it's, it's bananas. I mean, it's really, it's just really just, you'll, you'll understand when you watch it, but it was released on August 26, 1983, 90 minutes, um, runtime, uh, as Rick Moranis, Dave Thomas, um, is in it. It's got, um, uh, there's several other people that you probably would recognize if I tell them your name, you're not going to know who they are, but 
um, when you see him, you're like, oh yeah, I've seen that guy. He's been in other stuff, but it's basically about two unemployed brothers, Bob and Doug McKenzie. Um, It's kind of weird. It's a movie within a movie. So like they made a movie and the beginning of the movie, they're showing their movie to a theater audience. And then people in the theater get disenchanted with the movies. And um, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not even going to try to continue this because it just gets bizarre and bizarre, but um, they, they, uh, I'll fast forward. They get a job at this brewery and um, and discover this plot that uh, killed the the owner of the brewery and um, it's and they uncover this plot for the brewer master of the to like take over the world with beer and mind control and all kinds of stuff and it just it sounds crazy because it is it is it, it, but it is it is so funny and it is uh, very sophomoric humor of course. Um, but it is, uh, it's well worth, it's well worth watching. And, um, one of the, one of the funniest films that, um, in my opinion that he, that he ever made, but, um, big, big strange brew fan, uh, for sure. Just but, the, the whole beginning where they're like trying to get the Metro golden mayor lion to growl. Yeah, yeah. And they're trying to crank his tail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Hey. Just getting mad, eh? <laughs> Take off, you knob. That yeah, was a very, very funny movie. But I, I, I don't I think there's that. a Gen Xer that won't say something strange brew at least once oh, yeah. in the week, still oh, yeah. to this day. <laughs> I say beauty A all the time. But, beauty uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Take off, I, you I, knob. I have a, uh, a St. Elsinore's brewery t shirt that I wear randomly out. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. And like I always had people say, Hey, I haven't heard of that brewery. Where's it located? I was like, Oh, it's that new one in Fort Worth. Let's <laughs> <laughs> hey, go check it out. Yeah. That's funny. Did you all ever hear the the, the those the, the 12 days of Christmas with those guys? Yes. Yes. Holy oh, God. I have to go revisit that. I forgot oh, about first that. First day of Christmas. What's your little gift to me? A beer. <laughs> <laughs> They, uh, uh, no, I don't want to listen to you for the holidays. <laughs> the, uh, the movie was recorded. Um, I mean, it just, can I give a little bit of background on the movie? Yeah. So they were, uh, it's based off this little sketch that they did called the great white North. And, um, it became, it was started off as kind of a small production kind of thing, but it got very popular and then Hollywood snatched it up and they wrote a screenplay, uh, Rannis and, and Thomas, Dave Thomas, his co-star, hired the, Steve DeJarnett to write the first draft of the script. Um, Thomas told DeJarnett that he wanted to base the film story on Hamlet, of all things. <laughs> but DeJarnett's draft was too faithful to the play, and he was told to be more creative with the parallels. So Moranis and Thomas uh, went into the script and pretty much rewrote large sections of it. They injected a... Um, Seeing from a science fiction film that Bob and Doug McKenzie wanted to wanted to write called Mutants of 2051 AD. Um, it, it is it's got all sorts of stuff just crammed into it. And um, it's 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 really it's just a really, really funny movie. And um, I've got a whole bunch of notes here um, on it. But um, 
it's 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 definitely worth watching and um you talk about using your using their creative license i'm pretty much pretty sure that rick granite's got to exercise every creative license he had on that movie so i bet you're right it is and it dave, is dave thomas is also a second city guy by the way oh okay yeah, yeah. that makes sense they they all kind of ran in in a in a group together in circles yeah for sure yeah. um of course the other one of the other movies from the 80s that um he starred in was ghostbusters and you could do a whole episode just on Ghostbusters by itself. The <laughs> I learned stuff about the um, the way the soundtrack came about. The guy that wrote the soundtrack. It's kind of funny. I'll give you a quick synopsis of that. They um, the the movie th- the movie production company said they put out bids for the song, and they said, "Hey, we need this. We need the song to be written." And I forgot the guy. Do you know the name of the, the guy that wrote it, Keith, by chance? Uh, give me a second because yeah. I, I watched a video on it just recently and I'll find it. So, yeah, so the, keep going. So the guy that the guy that saw it saw this bid out there that nobody was bidding on. And he was like, well, heck, this is a big production film. I mean, it's a big budget type deal. I'm going to snatch this thing up. And he took it and accepted it and said, OK, I'm going to write this thing. And so he met with the Ghostbuster people and they had they told him that they wanted the word Ghostbusters to be at the time. They didn't know what the name of the movie is actually going to be when he sat down with them. Um, but they came up with Ghostbusters and said, you have to put Ghostbusters in the song. And he was like, how in the heck am I supposed to find anything that rhymes with Ghostbusters? It doesn't rhyme. With- it was Ray Parker Jr. Ray right. Parker I, Jr. I but yeah. And yeah. he goes, it doesn't rhyme with anything. So he goes, I was sitting there um, like two o'clock in the morning. It was, I couldn't sleep because I was thinking, how am I going to write this thing? And I got up at two o'clock in the morning and I was watching this commercial about these um, pest control people. And they were like, who are you going to call? Pest busters. And so he was like, or I don't know if it was pest busters, <laughs> but it was something like that. And so he's like, oh my God, that's it. So he put in, wrote the, wrote the lyrics and then just inserted in there this call out, which is like, who are you going to call Ghostbusters? And he goes, that's from a songwriting perspective. I forgot what that's called. There's some technical term, but it like gives them, they can in, inject that, that um, inject those people into the music. And it doesn't have to rhyme with anything because it's not actually the singers. It's like this crowd that's like participating. Right. It's like a song back or sing back or something, whatever he called it. But yeah, it's like a call and answer or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, a, a response type of thing. And um, he goes, it doesn't have to, the rules say it doesn't have to rhyme with anything. It just can be whatever it is. So he goes, that's the way I got the word Ghostbusters into the song. <laughs> it, uh, yeah. And if you want to go deeper in this, so if y'all um, subscribe on YouTube to Professor of Rock, Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I, I he, he just actually interviewed Ray Parker Jr. a month ago. Yeah. And, and so the, the title of it says exec demanded icon, write song around complex movie title and how he solved it and hit number one. So if you all want to go into the deep and I encourage you, cause it's a great, fascinating listen and it's, it's, it's awesome. So yeah, go listen to that on YouTube and professor of rock in general. If you haven't subscribed to him, you're missing out. That guy's awesome. That is so, yeah. cool. That is very cool. Yeah. So, um, the interesting thing about the course, so in, in the movie Ghostbusters, uh, Rick Moranis was, his name of his character was Lewis Tully. And that was the name of the not possessed character. When he was possessed, <laughs> his name was Vince Cortho. And uh, 
fifth portal key master calls her, are you the gatekeeper? (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite lines is they pick him up and they bring him in there and he's being inspected. He has the the colander with all those little probe things in it. And she's like, would you like some coffee? He was like, do I? And then he said, yes, have some. He's like, yes, have some. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love him so much in that movie. Gosh. He's so great. They, and the interesting thing about that is that he, he ad-libbed that whole scene. I don't know if y'all remember at the party scene where he invites all of his clients Mm -hmm. to his apartment. He's got this big party going on and everything. He ad-libbed almost that entire scene, like he, he injected that whole thing was him just making up stuff. But, um, what interesting thing, another interesting factoid, John Candy was offered the role of Lewis Tully originally. No kidding. He told the writer of ghostbusters that he didn't understand the character. And he suggested, uh, portraying Tully with a German accent and that he would have multiple German shepherds, but the filmmakers felt that, um, that there were already enough dogs in the film with all the other dogs that were in the film that didn't want to have more. And so uh, John Candy chose not to pursue the role because he just didn't agree with his vision of what the character was going to be like. So um, Reitman had previously worked with Rick Moranis. And so he sent him the script and um, Rick accepted it like an hour later after he, after he read the script, he accepted it just an hour after that. But he developed Rick Moranis developed many aspects of his character from scratch, just kind of injected his, his whole self into that. Like the, the pants pulled up where his ankles are like clear, like that much. And he, he created that character and um, he he was the one that made him an accountant. He ad lived the speech that he gave and at his party and stuff like the whole thing was just like blows your mind. But, um, I mean, so funny. I love, I love John Candy so much, but yeah. there, there cannot be another person to play that role uh-uh. than Rick no. Moran. There's no, no. way. And, totally. and just the, the beauty of between him and Sigourney Weaver being the two that are supposed to hook up, right? Yeah. Can you imagine polar opposite people like this good looking, super statured woman and then Rick Moranis on the other side and they're supposed to be the two that combine. And it's just, it's like, it couldn't have been more perfectly played out. Yeah. I, I don't think. Totally. Oh my gosh. So totally. Um, interesting thing about her role, Daryl, uh, Daryl Hannah, uh, Denise oh, yeah, Crosby, man. Julia Roberts, and Kelly LeBrock auditioned for the role of Dana Barrett. Wow. But Sigourney Weaver um, attracted the filmmaker's attention. Um, there was resistance, though, to casting her because of the generally serious roles that she had played in. So like in, in eight, she was an alien in 1979, The Year of Living Dangerously in 1982. But um, it was her comedic background that she developed while at the Yale School of Drama in um, she kind of used some of her uh, comedic background to to convince them to hire her for the role. But I thought that was interesting. Like Daryl Hannah, can you imagine Daryl Hannah or Julie Roberts even? No. As no. Sigourney Weaver, like turning Julie Roberts into a, a, a dog or whatever, <laughs> being, the, <laughs> being the gatekeeper. I just, anyway, I thought that I was kind of it. interesting. But um Anyway, that was that was Ghostbusters, huge hit. Of course, he was in Ghostbusters too as well. They when they reshot it in 2016, um, the cast asked him to do like a cameo um, 
in it and he politely declined. He said, I just wish them the best, but have no interest in, in doing that. Probably a good thing because that movie did not, did not take off so good. Um, I mentioned he was in Brewster's million. He played a, a character called Morty King and he basically just followed, um, he followed Richard Pryor's character around and just like repeated everything he said. It was just like, it was, uh, it was a very small role. It was very odd, but, um, it was, it was Rick Moranis through and through, but interesting. Um, one of my favorite movies though, is that he, that he was in actually one of my favorite movies, maybe of all time is Spaceballs. Oh, I, I just, I, this again, when I was talking about some of the, the lines that I quote and stuff like this one had so many, so many, and it's like the, um, I was watching some of the clips and stuff in preparation for, for this, uh, recording, but, um, he, uh, when he was, uh, uh, you know, the guy that did all the sounds and stuff and police Academy was in space balls. Yeah. yeah. I had forgotten that until I was watching some of the, some of the clips and stuff. And he goes up to him and he, his radar stops working and he goes, um, they like, they jammed his radar with actual raspberry jam. (laughs) Only one man's going to give me the jam that give me the raspberry. Loom star. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. But in in that movie, of course, Rick Manis played uh, Dark Helmet. He was a yeah. Spaceballs, short-statured, bratty, and office childish chief enforcer who could wield the, quote, downside of the shorts. So it was <laughs> it totally, a, it was, a cor- course, a parody of Darth Vader. So, um, of course, this is a Mel Brooks movie. Um and when Brooks developed Spaceballs, he wanted his parody to be as close to the original Star Wars as possible. So he talked to um, George Lucas and said, hey, you know, George, I'm going to be shooting this movie that's going to be a parody of yours. And he just wanted to give him a heads up that he was he was going to do it. And George said, hey, I'm fine with it. I'm not going to give you any legal trouble or anything, but, you know, you can't make any any action figures or any merchandise because your merchandise is going to look exactly like mine. And that's when you're going to have some problems. So if you remember in the movie, there's that scene where they have the yogurt character comes out and um, yogurt (laughs) is the Yoda character. And they have like all these action figures and like lunch boxes and stuff. And they have like the kid's flamethrower because kids love the flamethrower. (laughs) <laughs> and all, all this merchandise that they could never actually sell, of course, because of his agreement with with George Lucas not to ever sell it. So he didn't. Um, he held up his end of the deal and never did send it. Uh, never did sell stuff. But um, that's great. That's so good. <laughs> thought that was pretty funny. I see your Schwartz is as big as mine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I see your Schwartz as big as mine. Oh man, they're out there combing the desert. <laughs> I'll just leave it right there. That's all you gotta say. In this, the original script, according to Rick Moranis, in the original script, the description of Dark Helmet was that the whole costume was just one gigantic helmet. Like there would just be just one huge helmet. They said it got scaled back to just an exaggerated version of the Darth Vader helmet, is what they landed on with the with the little tie and everything too. So right. it's, it's um, classic. It is. 
Uh, one other interesting thing um, here, Pullman, Bill Pullman was uh, got the part of Lone Star. Uh, Brooks and his wife and Bancroft were uh, were at a play and saw him perform in the play. Uh, at the time, he got the role. Bill Pullman had never seen Star Wars, and Whoa. so they're like, "You're gonna do a parody of Star Wars." He's like, "What is Star Wars?" And he's like, "Oh my gosh!" So um, that's funny. What's interesting is that Brooks had been unsuccessfully trying to sign on big name actors for his film, like Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks. And they oh, ended up man. with, they ended up with Bill Pullman. So, um, again, I can't imagine a better person I, now, you know, no kidding. So funny. no kidding. So, um, anyway, instead of getting Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks, they got Bill Pullman, John Candy and Rick Moranis, uh, were attracted to the script and they got, got them instead, which turned out to be amazing. Perfect. So, um, Barf. Yeah, barf. <laughs> but um, now it was. It's a great. It's a great movie. Um, again, it's one of those you have to watch. And um, Mel Brooks. There's all sorts of scenes in there. There's like the the little alien that comes out of the guy's body and then does like a little dance off the, the stage on the bar and everything. It's just crazy wacko stuff. If you ever watch Mel Brooks movies, you know there's always like the what was he thinking kind of moments in in all of his movies, but. Um, Anyway, some other little factoids I found as I was doing um, my research on Rick Moranis was um, Moranis was was slated to appear as the janitor in the 1985 John Hughes film, The Breakfast Club. Really? Yeah, Hmm. which I thought was bizarre. After a week or so of filming, um, the Ted Nannan, the producer, released Moranis because he felt Moranis' interpretation of the role as an over-the-top Russian caricature was not appropriate for the serious nature of the film. So he just had too much, too much Rick Moranis humor in him and um, for the film. So they they dismissed him, and I don't even know the name of the guy that they put in there as a replacement. But I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, another one. Um, Rick Moranis was the producer's first choice to play the Sherman Clump, Buddy Love in The Nutty Professor, which is really? oh. bizarre if you think about yeah, that. And um, Moranis loved the the whole take. He loved the whole script, was like all about it. And um, he declined it because he had other projects going on and he was raising his children as a single parent. So he wasn't able to take on the role. So the um, producer rewrote the script for Eddie Murphy and they brought Eddie Murphy into it. And um, at the time, his career was in a huge decline and um, it's considered to be a comeback movie for Murphy. But um, oh, no doubt thought that was bizarre. I'm like that. That is I can't picture Rick Moranis being the nutty. <laughs> I can't see that whole scene of them sitting around the table <laughs> like <laughs> no other way. It's got to be Eddie Murphy like it has to be. Yeah. Colon cleanse. I clean my colon right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can leave. I can leave. <laughs> There's an opportunity to crack in your ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Sometimes I give myself relations. <laughs> Likewise. oh god um a couple more here he was uh, ranis was originally cast as phil in 
city slickers. So he was going to be one of the, one of the guys in city slickers, but his wife became ill before filming began. And he chose to, to sit that one out and not do it. So Daniel Stern was replaced, replaced him in the role at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I think that's, I think that's it guys. I, I really enjoyed digging into, into this whole thing, into Rick Moranis's career and his life and, um, all the different roles. I don't know. We only, we only scratched the surface on the stuff that he was in. Um, it's kind of hard to fit all of that into the, into an episode, but, um, it sure was learned a lot about him. I've got deep respect for him and the way he conducted himself in his career and the decisions he made. Um, when I think about my, you know, growing up in the eighties and nineties, um, he was one of those characters that was in almost every movie that I really enjoyed from that era. And, um, funny, uh, you never know what's going to come out of his mouth. You never know what he's going to say. And, uh, you could just see, he really enjoys what he does. And, um, yeah, no doubt. It was really just an impactful person, um, impactful actor, uh, back at that, that time of my life. But anyway, just wanted to share that with the listeners and share that with you guys and, um, hope you all enjoyed and got something, learned something new out of that. Yeah, man, that, that was awesome. I always, yeah, I started jotting down movies as you were talking. Like, I got to watch Strange Brew again. I mean, I've lost track oh, number of no times doubt. I've seen it, but it's been a while since I last saw it. And, uh, I, you know, I you know, I know how I feel about Star Wars. I don't I don't hate Star Wars. I just don't know it that well. Yeah. And I'm sort of like the same with Spaceballs. I remember moments of it. I mean, I crack up when I think of what, what he was dressed up as Dark Helmet. <laughs> but, uh, like, you know, like, but uh, yeah, I want to revisit all those. I always thought it would be cool if, uh, you know, you know, can't think Hollywood ever thought of this, but uh, if three amigos had a fourth amigo, I always thought Rick Moranis would be a great. That would be a perfect fourth amigo. Pass. That would be perfect. Yeah, that would be perfect. Another dynamic be... amongst those three, <laughs> no doubt. And incidentally, on that one, so today is December twelfth, and on December twelfth of nineteen eighty six, today in nineteen eighty six, Three Amigos was released. Oh wow! wow. Look at there. Wow. Silky segue there, Keith. That's what I'm talking about. Sleekest. Silkiest. <laughs> wow. wow. So, you know, for our listeners, you know, we're, you know, something that we'll do more of in season three, which starts uh, first of the year is uh, some more of these deep dives. Uh, Keith and I have not shared who we're going to do our deep dives about. I have a strong idea who mine's going to be. I'm sure Keith, you do as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, this is, I think something that we're doing one for our, just our own curiosity to learn more about, about the a celebrity or, or an important person in our lives that, that uh, really just, you know, provided great memories for us, invoked a lot of nostalgia. And I think that's why you heard me and Keith laugh so much while Noah's talking about Rick Moranis <laughs> is, yeah, I, I can think of Rick Moranis' facial expressions, you know, when they're, when they're filming Strange Brew. And, and in fact, he drank all the beer out of the one uh, that, <laughs> It's just, you know, cracks me up and then put out the fire afterwards. You know, that's, I gotta take yeah. a leak. I gotta take a Hold on to it. Can't believe it. He drank the whole thing. <laughs> Back up, baby. Yeah, he but, belches and knocks the thing off. I gotta watch that again. Oh, I yeah, gosh. By the way, every time we do a podcast, I write notes of like things I need to, need to either rewatch or check out. And Professor Rock's on my list today. So, uh, <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. So nice job, Noel. Thank yeah, you. very nice job. And, and 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 we look forward to doing this more in the future. Uh Keith, you want to close us out? 
Sure. Thanks again, Noel. I, I tell you what, that's a that's an awesome start. That's a, somebody that I was not giving a second thought to being one that you would really think of as the inspiration. But the more you talked about it, I'm like, I can totally see <laughs> why you picked him because you're right. You can't think of a movie with him in it that you're not smiling or thinking about. Yep. And some of the, his mannerisms and his wordings were just so awesome. So, awesome. And, and the fact that what he did for his family, yeah. um, you know, that tops it off. So that's that's totally. an awesome deep dive, Noel. Thanks for starting us off strong. Absolutely. We got some we got some big things to fill here, Steve. We're going <laughs> to yeah, keep up yeah. with that. So yeah. Still have a lot more to come, including a continuation of our 1986 some more of our deep dives and we're going to have some other fun things going in season three as well. So thanks again. Happy start to your new year. And we will talk to you again real soon. Awesome. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Wayback Chronicles. All shows are written and produced by Noel. Keith and Steve. Massive thanks to those who made these memories possible for us through the years. All songs, sounds, and effects have been attributed in the comments section and through links listed on waybackchronicles.podbean.com. We look forward to taking you way back again in the very near future.